Psalm 138, Psalm 139. Anybody listen to the hearings today about Obamacare? Do me a favor, just turn the radio off. Just come to church. They say it's going to get even worse. It's going to be real scary here. So see how it all, and you know, here's, let me just say this. God's not up in heaven going, what have you done? How do we fix this? He's, he's well aware of it. He's, he's got it under control. We'll take a look at that tonight. But let's pick up at Psalm 138, and, um, and then let me pray, and we'll go through the study together. Father, thank you for your word, and Lord, as we undertake this study, uh, to look at these two Psalms of David, the idea of your goodness to the faithful, and then this idea of perfect knowledge that you have of man, things you know about us that we don't even know about ourselves. And that these two psalms go together so remarkably. And to realize that the older David got, the more he understood how wise you are and how ignorant he was. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would give us wisdom tonight. Lord, that if we lack it, we just have to ask for it and you give it. And then, Lord, we also know that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. I pray as uh, even the youth are gathering, I'm just so thankful, exegetical studies of the word, and watching the junior hires go verse by verse through your word, it just blows my mind. Seeing the high schoolers do the same, and seeing the love they have for your word, watching the women last night in community, building relationships, and studying your word, the men doing the same. And Lord, where your word is honored, and where, where fellowship is agreed to, and there's a covenant of relationship in the church, Lord, you bless it. And so I just pray that you'd bless this fellowship strengthen every vestige of it. Thank you for the families that come and their desire to want to call this home. And Lord, let us remain strong together for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 138. Uh, This is a psalm of David, Lord's goodness to the faithful. And I'm going to read it through in its entirety and then share a couple thoughts and then go into Psalm 139. I want to focus primarily on 139 tonight, but there's some thoughts I have in regards to 138. David says, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, small g, I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. I love that verse. He holds his word above his name. Let me say that again. He holds his word above his name. Unless, of course, you have the ESV version or the NIV version or anything that has the Alexandrian text, which I I don't. I'm, I'm King James preferred, not King James only. I would actually say New King James preferred, not New King James only. But I would say that this is, this is where you see the breakdown in the Alexandrian text. It doesn't say the same. It is so clear in the original Hebrew that this is exactly what it means. He holds his word above his name. Some people struggle with that. There shouldn't be any struggle with it. That's what the word says. It's, in its simplicity, in its original language, that's what it says. And uh, people think that they're holding a greater version of the scriptures because you found a version that's older and predated. It's like the reason why it was preserved and found was because nobody read the Bible in Alexandria. It was a place of Gnostics. You know, you you look at uh, Robert E. Lee's Bible. There's not much left of it. Stonewall Jackson's, there's not much left of it. They read that every day. It was tattered. You can find Grant's Bible. I saw it, his field Bible. It's in the museum over in Redlands, California. It's well kept because the guy never cracked it, never opened it. So, all right, let's move on. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. And all the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord. And when they hear the words of your mouth, yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly. 
But the proud he knows from afar. He sees them coming. He wants nothing to do with them because they're in the distance. He wants to keep it that way. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You'll stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. And do not forsake the works of your hands. This is a psalm David wrote. And David was a man who understood failure. David was a man who understood loneliness. David was a man who understood betrayal. But David also understood the power of the word of God. He loved God's word. He elevated it. He understood that God holds his word above his name. Why is that? Because God's name is worthless if he doesn't keep his word. You're only as good as your word. Have you ever heard that said? And if you don't keep your word, your name isn't something that people associate with honesty. But with the Lord, his word is true. And, and he is the embodiment of his word. And that's what we should be, the embodiment of our own word. We are the sum of what we say. We're the sum of what we believe. We're the sum of what we pr- uh, profess. And if there's, there's distortion or if there's uh, dishonesty or <clears throat> anything along those lines, that's a reflection of who we are. Well, in God's case, whatever he says is true. He's a reflection of his word. And thus he holds his word above his name. Now let me just say that if he holds his word above his name, uh, don't you think it'd be important to spend time in his word? Churches love to teach from the Bible, they just don't teach the Bible. This is now in, in this time, it's more important than ever that the body of Christ would, would be endeared to the word of God like never before. There needs to be a systematic study of the scriptures. And let me, let me add to that. There should be a systematic study in your own life of the scriptures, not just what we do on Sundays and Wednesdays. If you're not systematically going through the word, you're not growing in your own relationship. You're waiting for somebody else to put a bottle in your mouth and feed you. And you say, well, the, I find the word of God boring. And I've said this to you before, well, you're boring, right? You don't have time to read the same word that spoke the heavens into existence. If you struggle with, you know, um, numbers and Deuteronomy and, and, and the genealogies, then do what Billy Graham does. Go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Psalms, Proverbs. He just reads those over and over again. Listen, if you, if you miss certain portions of the Scripture, we'll get through that in time, but have a systematic daily st- study of the Scriptures. I'd rather you have that portion going than none at all. And I'll guarantee you that if you get those down and you study them and you, you meditate on them and you do that, you'll start to hunger for the other things because you're going to start to see that the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed, and the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. It'll start to blow your mind when you start to see these things <clears throat> present themselves. The best illustrator for the Word of God is the Word of God itself. You'll start to witness that, and it'll just bless your life. So he magnifies his Word above his name. If he does that, you should too. Amen? Now, you, Was there anyone who withheld that amen? Because you're withholding a growth in faith. Amen? All right, now we're without excuse, good. Then David says, In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. You know, oftentimes we'll cry out to God, but we don't wait upon him. Or we cry out a feeble cry. We're not desperate for him. We're not clinging to him. We'll throw out that, you know, Lord, if I'll mind my business if you mind your business. If I really need you, I'll call on you. And he wants you dependent upon him. A Christian's declaration of dependence is prayer. Time in the word of God. And, and, you know, this is, this is where the Lord wants us to be, is wholly dependent upon him. I, I like this too. He says, uh, you made me bold with strength in my soul. I remember I was a fairly new Christian at Fresno State University. I was a history major. I had to do my, it wasn't a thesis. It was like actually you had to graduate. And so you had to go before your own peers and then the two professors from the department to get a history degree. <clears throat> and I'd put together a history paper 
uh, I was a brand new Christian. I put my uh, a history paper together on prophecy and scripture. And, and prophecy and history from the scriptures themselves in a secular school. And I plagiarized it. Yeah, that's not good. I plagiarized it. Because I, I I, you're going to look at me funny. I'd never done a term paper in all my life. I was an athlete. I didn't have to. I, I hated school. I hated studying. I, it wasn't until I became a Christian that I began to read voraciously. I didn't know about quoting sources. I had no idea. I didn't get caught on the plagiarism, but years later I look back and I go, man, I plagiarized that thing. It was awful. But I remember they were so ignorant of the word of God and so ignorant of prophecy they wanted to throw it out because they didn't say that. See, the Greeks look at history as cyclical. Some look at it as chaotic. But, but it, was, it was the Hebrews and the Christians that saw that history is God's redemption of man, that the, the cross is the center theme of all of history. The Old Testament looked forward to it, and the New Testament saints looked back to that point in time, and that you, it speaks beyond the space-time continuum because we see in Genesis that when the Garden of Eden was shut down with a fiery sword, God created time and, and the space-time continuum. He creates it. He understands it. He's, he's, he was in the beginning. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, he was, he is, and he is to come. And, and so there's, there's no time in relation to the Lord. But for us, there is. And so this picture of history, this picture of a time frame, is, is all prophetic. And when he speaks beyond the space-time continuum, as Peter says, the more sure word of prophecy, he's speaking things that are yet to come that are fulfilled. And it's fascinating. And so I was laying that out, and I was using Walvert and a whole bunch of other Dallas Theological Seminary folks, and laying out this case before all my peers and my teachers. They didn't even know how to process it. And I got, a little, I got a little bold, a little arrogant, actually. And I remember when the teacher stood in the middle of this, I was getting questioned. And they had put two people on to check my sources. And I know they didn't, because when I look back years later, I, I, would have, I, I would have been in trouble. God was nice. He's always nice. I, he was merciful, is what I should say. But um, the, uh, the instructor said... Um, Okay, and, and I, the argument was over the validity of Scripture, that, that I would even use Scripture. And so he said, okay, let's take an unbiased approach. <laughs> now let me just say this to you. There's no such thing as an unbiased approach. Everyone comes from a bias, yes? What he was saying is, let's take my view of Scripture, which doesn't hold it to be true or of God. And let's go from there. And my response was, no, that's biased. And I said that. I didn't even know where it came from. I'm like, I said, that's biased. And, 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 and at that point, it was this concept and this, this argument over the truthfulness of Scripture. And I started to just get to this place where I, I was burdened by it. And, and it, almost to the point where I was militant. You know, he was biased against the word of God. I was biased for the word of God and its validity and its veracity. And you, and you, look, at, you look at some of, of, of uh, like Romans. This is the Apostle Paul. You tell me, you tell me if Paul is biased. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, and for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Is, is that a biased statement? No, no. How about Acts? Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's Peter. Biased? 
Heck yeah. James says, God gives more grace, and he therefore he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, you can be prideful in your position because you've gotten some sort of power. And I, I sense myself being there, but in the same regard, there's humility. But not humility where you yield to the truth. You, you give away the truth. Does that make sense? You don't compromise in truth. These guys were saying the existence of God, and David is declaring the existence of God, and God is, is being magnified. His word is true. Uh, he answers prayers. The kings of all the earth are going to praise you, verse 4. They will hear the words of your mouth. They're going to be moved. And then he says, yes, they shall all sing of the waves of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, and the proud he sees from afar. And what David is saying is, you're, you're going to realize that there is a God in heaven, and you're going to stand before him. I was just outside with a couple of, of young high school kids. They always ditch church. Every, every Wednesday night, they're out in the foyer, and they're cruising around. I walked up to them. I go, fellas, you're going to go to, to youth group tonight? Oh, pastor, we kind of hang out, and then we look at this guy. I go, no, 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 no. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. Now, you want to grow in the Lord? Go and spend time with your peers studying. Oh, it's, and you're going to say it's boring, Pastor. Like I said to you, and I even told them, I go, you guys are boring. The God of the universe who goes to heavens in the span of his hand wants to meet with you, and you're telling me someday you're going to get to close to 50 like me. You think you're going to live forever, but someday you're going to get to be my age, close to 50. You're going to start contemplating these things, and it won't be long before you're standing before the God of the universe and giving an account of your life, and you're going to have the audacity to say, you were bored? You arrogant little punk. Get to class. I didn't say punk, but I felt that way. That was on the inside. On the outside, so you need to go to class. <laughs> don't, don't come here and waste your parents' time and everybody else's time. Redeem it. Redeem it. Where, what are you worshiping? Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 44, he speaks of the man that burns half of... of of this animal in the fire, and with his half he eats the meat, or excuse me, the wood, this wood that he finds, this tree that he cuts down, he burns half of it in the fire, and with this half he eats meat, and he roasts a roast, and he's satisfied, and he warms himself, and then he says, ah, I'm warm, and I have seen the fire of this wood that he had, and the rest of the wood, he makes it into a god, his carved image, he falls down before it, he worships it, he prays to it, he says, deliver me, for you are my god, he formed it with his own hands. They don't know or understand, for he has shut their eyes, and so they can't see in their hearts, so they cannot understand. And no one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire, yes, and I've also baked bread on its coals, and I've roasted meat and eaten it, and shall make the rest into an abomination. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? I mean, I, I, here's my favorite one. The kids are into football. I tell Daniel, I don't care if you win or lose. This is about the character of who you are. When you get on that field, you're going to push your opponents so they have the best game they ever had. You want to push your teammates and your opponents so that they, they see Christ in what you do. That's the point. It's, it's to develop character. I don't care if you start. I don't care if you're put in obscurity or you ride the pine. It's character. There's Christ in everything you do. Otherwise, you are worshiping a piece of animal skin that's sewn together that grown men push on a grass field and people gather and wear uniforms and worship and scream at the top of their lungs. It is so stupid. Get a grip. 
And David is saying in Psalm 138, humble yourself so you can run with a football. Who gives a flip? Really, and, and in time, you are gonna, you're going to be eating pudding because you're going to have so many concussions. And someone else is going to be feeding it to you. And your glory is going to depart. Be kind, be nice, and get in the Word and spend some time in His presence and humble yourself. And you walk around. You, you, if you, this is how we, we did this last week. Here's how you measure masculinity. Masculinity is done by sexual, or sexual prowess, athletic ability, and your ability to make money. And once something along those lines starts clicking, you walk around like the, 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 the rooster on top of the, the hen house. And that's, that's a man thinking he's something. And you're not. What did we used to say in the fifth grade? You think your hot's not, but your cold booger's on a paper plate. <laughs> hot's not on a silver platter, but your cold booger's on a paper plate. And go ahead and quote that. Put it on the radio. We're good with it. <laughs> so, so you obtain something in that realm. That doesn't make you a man. A man builds community. A man, over 35 years of age, when a man gets over 35 years of age, he doesn't have any friends. Because he didn't want anyone to see who he really is. He doesn't have any friends. And the reason why he doesn't have any friends is because he doesn't communicate. He doesn't build community. He doesn't tell people he loves them. He uses people. He plays them. They're part of his stable. And that's, that's not how God intends it to be. It's community. And this is what God wants us to do. And so in this picture, David says, The Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly and the proud he sees from afar. He doesn't have time for us when we think we're all that. And the amazing thing is God's in the business of reducing us to a minimum. And the way he does that is he humbles us. The minute we start thinking we're something, he brings it and it all comes crashing down. And then he says in verse 7, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you revive me. Even trouble for a, a, a child of God is a gift from the Lord. Because that's the time where he connects with you and he revives you and you know it's him. You've tried to, to seek some sort of sustenance from the world. You've tried to seek some sort of re, re, reviving, something to try. You, you've gone back to the old music to try to, you know, get that feeling that you had at that first concert, whatever it is. And it's just not, you, you Facebook an old flame, whatever, it's just not there. But in this misery, in the emptiness, God walks with us in the midst of that trouble. And, it, and, and the trouble isn't necessarily what, that others are attacking us. It's trouble we made for ourselves. And then he says, you'll stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. And if the enemy is myself, you'll take care of it. You'll crush me. Oh, Lord, uh, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Let me say that again and pay attention. The Lord will perfect that which concerns you and me. You think God doesn't want anything to do with you because you blew it? You think God's written you off? He couldn't be more wrong. He's going to perfect that which concerns you. And the trial that you're going through and the failure that you've experienced is all the process of the sovereign hand of God to break you and bring you to a place where you're meek and you can be guided by a bit in your mouth. Great strength under the control of the master. And then he says, Oh Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. God, keep it up. Keep it up, Lord. I'm good with that. Keep it up. I, um, 
I was thinking of, of the story of the drug dealer. Uh, there was, I can't remember what pastor it was, but he was maybe down in the Bahamas or something like that. And somebody approached him, asked him if he wanted to buy, buy cocaine. And he said, uh, he said, no, or maybe no thank you. And he said, why did I say no thank you? I mean, he kept rehearsing in his mind. And he was like, Lord, give me another opportunity. You know, show me how you would respond if somebody came up and wanted to sell you drugs. And, uh, and so an, uh, another drug dealer came up to him during that vacation, and he said something along the lines of, is that all you got? I thought you had some good stuff, man. He goes, I, I, got, I got stuff that's amazing. In the morning, you're, you're, you don't have a hangover. You're just glowing. He starts going through this whole presentation of the gospel. He says, now, it's illegal in some countries, but I don't think it's illegal here, and I can get you some if you want. And the guy's like, yeah, yeah. And he, he shares the Lord with him right there, and I thought that was kind of cool. So, yeah. All right, let's go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Let me uh, get my notes organized here. Psalm 139 is probably one of Christendom's favorite psalms, and especially for the pro-life movement, this is a psalm that is, is without equal, I would think. Um, but but look, at, look at this picture of it. It's uh, written by David, and it says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. I'm going to read it in its entirety and then go back. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You've hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be like light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully skillfully wrought, Uh, In the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written in the days fashioned for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would be more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain and... Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my fears or my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a a powerful psalm that David wrote. And you can see the, the beauty of this that uh, it, it's a depiction of a child long before the child is born, the way that God views us, that before we ever lived a day in our life, he's already, he already has every day numbered. There's nothing random in you. There's nothing that catches God off guard in you. Uh, there's, there's nothing that, that, that God is surprised by in you. Before you even think a thought, he already knows that. I, um, 
I, I like this story about Bob Hope. He was astonished to discover, and he shared this in a, in a comedy routine. He was astonished to discover. He said, today my heart beat over 103,000 times, and my blood traveled 168 million miles, and I breathed 23,400 times. I inhaled 438 cubic feet of air, ate three pounds of food, and drank 2.9 pounds of liquid. I perspired 1.43 pints, gave off 85.3 degrees of heat, generated... Uh, 450-somethings of energy. I spoke 4,800 words. I moved 750 major muscles and exercised 7 million brain cells. It's no wonder I'm tired all the time. (laughs) Augustine wrote, People travel to wonder at the height of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long course of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and yet they pass by themselves without wondering. You know, you may think at times, and I've had a few weeks of this, where you think you're worthless. And the condemnation's heavy. But you have to come to a place where you realize how intricate and wondrous you are as God's creature. There's a uniqueness and an intricacy to our bodies. Bob Hope wasn't the only one who got that. and there, There's more to it. In a square inch of your skin, I wrote this down, in a square inch of your skin, there's 20 blood vessels... 65 muscles, 78 nerves, 78 sensors for heat, 13 for cold, 160 for pressure, 650 sweat glands, 1,300 nerve endings, and 19,500,000 cells in a square inch of your skin. The skin serves several purposes, including providing a protective shield against bacteria, viruses, absorbing of bumps and bruises that might otherwise damage your bones, internal organs. And in an inch of skin, your sweat glands and your body do double duty, helping to eliminate waste and cool your body. Is Dr. Pete here? He can verify it, but he's not. I I told him to stay away. No, I'm kidding. And then there's your brain, which weighs about three pounds, but stores 100 trillion bits of information over the course of 70 years. That storage capacity is roughly equal to 500,000 sets of the Encyclopedia Britannica, which if stacked would stretch out over 442 miles. Your brain does all this and uses less power than a 100-watt bulb. All right, I, th- I thought yeah, I'd be impressed. No, you're not. Bless you, Seema. Your brain is serviced by about 45 miles of nerves that send impulses through your body as rapidly as 325 miles per hour. Your nervous system is so sensitive you are able to feel on your fingertips or face a pressure that depresses your skin a bare point zero 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 four four hundred thousandths inch, roughly the weight of a bee's wing falling on your cheek. And then there's your ears. A piano has 88 keys, but each of your ears has a keyboard with 1,500 keys. They are so finely tuned that you can hear the blood running through your vessels. Your eyes are capable of seeing small candle flame from 30 miles away on a clear, dark night and can distinguish among more than 300,000 different color variations. Your nose can smell one drop of perfume diffused uh, through a three-room apartment. And so when David says, if you notice in verse 14... He says, I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and marvelous are your works that my soul knows all too well. It takes on a a whole different picture, doesn't it? How spectacular the human body is and how God blesses us. And I would would say this, if if I were to take out a $20 bill, I, I used to do this with kids, but then I had parents go, you're defacing federal currency. So... That means whatever for some of you. 
But I, I would take it out, and I'd say to the kids, do you, this is kind of a beat-up $20 bill. Do you want it? They go, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'd, I'd rip it in half. i go, you still want it? And they're like, yeah. And I'd crumble it up, and I'd throw the two halves on the ground. You still want it? Yeah. I'd turn the halves in half, and I'd have quarters, and I'd crumble those. And I'd say, yeah. i go, why? Because it's still worth $20. You can tape it together and turn it in, get another bill. You get, it's still worth 20 bucks. And I go, why is it worth $20? Because it was created by the federal government. The federal government has placed a value on it. I said, oh, so if I just get some linen and some ink and a computer program and a printer and I make some, no, 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 no. The U.S. government, they'll arrest you for that. It's valuable because the U.S. government made it. If the U.S. government doesn't make it, it's not valuable. It's just counterfeit. You know why you're valuable? God made you. You can even mar the surface. You can inject it. Right? You can, you can amputate it. You can paralyze it. You can deform it. You can mentally challenge it. And guess what? It's still valuable because we've been created in the image of God. One of the reasons why I absolutely love Newberry Park High School, why we picked for my son to go there, is because all the special needs kids in our community who are in the public school system go there. And there's an interaction with the, the, the jocks and the kids with special needs to realize the value of a human life. It doesn't matter the package it comes in. We're creating the image of God. That's what gives us value. Now, when you remove God from the equation, yes, then the baby fur seal and the spotted owl has more value than an unborn baby. Now we got problems because your value is only based on your utilitarian ability. And if you can't do for me, then we're going to get rid of you. So we're going to do death panels. And if you cost too much for society, we're going to get rid of you. We don't need to be giving you a wheelchair and a breathing machine, even if your brain works. And we're going to cut out the young ones because they're inconvenient. And a world of wanted children will make a world of difference. And these are unwanted babies, and nobody needs to be raising someone else's child. Is there anyone in the room right now that if a baby were afforded to you, you would adopt it? Raise your hand, please. Give me a break. You're telling me that abortion is viable because nobody wants babies? Did you see the hands? You know how hard it is to get a baby? Half of my generation's dead. Utilitarian. Somebody needs to read Psalm 139. It's nauseating. The value of human life is declared by God. Before you were even formed, I knew you. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made Knitted together in your mother's womb. You look at a DNA structure, it's a knitting pattern. And the value of a human life is all based on the fact that we've been created in the image of God. But again, an unborn eagle or an unborn spotted owl or a baby fur seal has more value in a utilitarian society than a baby. Because a baby isn't useful and a baby requires effort we're going to spend more time in this psalm, but I want to cover a few more things in regards to it. He says, you have searched me and you know me, and you know my sitting down and my rising up, and you understand my thoughts afar off. 
I was thinking about these, I, I, this, this concept of a thought. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. And there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, Lord, you know it all together. What he's saying is, I haven't even thought the thought, and you already know the thought before I thunk the thought. You have a pre-knowledge of my pre-thunk thought, right? That's kind of confusing, but you're getting it. He knows what I'm going to think before I think it. And, and he knows the word before I speak it. A man in the course of a day, in the course of a day, says enough words to be able to put together a small pamphlet or a small book, a small paperback volume. In the course of a man's lifetime, he speaks enough to be able to fill a college library of books. Now a woman is twice, two, two times. They can do two college libraries. And listen, that's not an insult. You, you look at a, a little boy and you look at a little girl. You look at boys when they're playing. And, and, and they, they're just, they, they, they don't say anything. Even when they play, they don't say anything. And girls. I remember Molly and Kelly they used to put on these elaborate plays together. And I'd come home and I'd be exhausted watching them. And they'd have whole dialogues that they have developed through the course of the day and they'd make me sit through the play. Why? They, they, they'd bring me things they wrote. They'd go, look, Daddy, and they'd recite it. And I'd show your mom. I'm, my brain, I'm full. I don't have anything left to give you or say. I would go, good. Yes? And men will talk a little bit and then... You know, I, I sat through the elders' meeting on Sunday night, and, and pray, please pray for us. We got a lot of things heavy. We have to decide what God wants to do if, if we're going to enter into this lawsuit. I'll, I'll share with you quickly, and we'll finish the. We have, we have, uh, we're at a crossroads. We're looks like we're going to forego the federal suit and follow the state suit back to the federal court. That's what we're looking at. But if we do this, that means that we have to deny the insurance company, the ability to, to defend our case because the insurance company doesn't want to defend religious liberty. The, the, the insurance company wants to manage liability. So they're going to pay these people some money and they'll make them go away. We don't want to do that. But to go this route is going to cost money. And, and we're feeling like if we don't do this, who will? And if not us, if not now, when? If not us, who? But then I said to the elders as we were all talking about it, I said, now, Remember this too, that when we, there's a likelihood that when we forego the insurance company's defense, the board is also now liable and they can come after your house. So the board members are now the next line that these folks will come after financially. And, and the, there's a smaller board that's owned by the church, which is the Family Life and Faith and Freedom, which the school is under. And there's three board members. And I'm the first one. I'm the one. I'm losing. And the other family, they're, they're, we're all like first line. And I told the board, I said, pray about it and come back. We're going to do this, but either you're with us or you're not. So you have to either willingly step off or go forward. But we need wisdom on how to proceed. And so this is, this is, uh, this is where we are. Um, but uh, it was Sunday, and, and I, was, I was exhausted. I'd sat through the board meeting, I listened, to the, and we talked. And then we, it, it was four hours for Pastor Chuck's memorial service, and a lot of us stayed and watched. It was powerful. And I got home, and... Um, and, and I was tired. And, and Michelle doesn't look at, her, at the bed as a place of sleep. She looks at it as her office. And so she wants to discuss kind of the course of the day. 
<laughs> I'm like, we're closed for business. Let's just shut this down. Let's just move on, sister. And, and, and yet, with all these words and, and, and perception of words, you're hearing what I'm saying. This, this is my favorite. I was talking with a, a young man in the fellowship and, and we had gotten estranged through a series of miscommunications and people's feelings were hurt and some of the college group was affected. And I just kind of sat back and my name was used for this purpose and that. And Pastor Rob said this about you. And, and I just stood back and I, I said, what leaves my mouth and enters somebody's ears and then goes into their heart and then comes out their mouth. To, I mean, all of a sudden we've got distortion. It's like playing operator, Yeah. And you whisper something, it goes all around the room, and then the person says what the first person says, not even anything remotely close. And, and in that, if, if you're confronted, Matthew 18, you go and talk to them. Just resolve it face to face. And, and you know what? There were a number of folks who did just that in the, in the course of time. And watching as healings taking place, that people would take that initiative. Uh, a lot of people would just typically get up and leave. I don't know. Or they'll just mumble or just, just do something. And the assumptions and the, and the pictures of it. And so what the Lord is saying, even with all of this, even with, with, with what you're facing, Lord, you know my heart. You search me. You know me, David says. I'm trying to clean up my side of the street. God, you've searched me. You know me. You know things about me I don't even know about myself. You, you know how I react and respond to certain things from certain people. You know how I'm affected by these things. Lord, you know how I, how I affect other people. I, I look at myself, I, Pastor Rob said, so what? John said, Dale said, it, it's irrelevant. No, but you, Brett said, no, you carry more weight when you speak. Why? Do you, do you know, have you lived with me? Do you know me? And it's one of these things, it's not anything of me. It's some, so all of a sudden, God, would you show me the effect of that? of what comes with the position. And, and Lord, you've searched me, you know me, and he says, you know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand me from afar off. God, you, you, you've got this. And when he says afar off, it's not like he's distant. He's saying, I, I know you before there was a you. When, before you're sitting down, before you're even rising up, I understand every reason for it. Everything you're going through is passed through my sovereign hand. He says, you comprehend my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all of my ways, the entirety of my ways. You know exactly how I am affected by everything. We're watching as, as sociologists, and you're watching the NSA as they're compiling massive data to see how, how masses of people react. Um, I, I, my uh, Navy SEAL team friend was saying everything that occurred in Libya was done uh, via uh, cell phones. And they, they, they moved a massive crowd by sending texts and, you know, moving people. And that was done by social media, social networking. The entire fall of Libya occurred with that. It was an experiment in that regard. And so they're amassing all kinds of data and they're going to try to plague you and understand you and manipulate and move you. And yet God has been understanding this and still gives the freedom of man. And, and you, you say, well, wait, how can God be, and we've gone over this, how can God be completely sovereign and man have a free will? How, how can that be? How is it that we have responsibility before the Lord that, that, that 
I, some, you know, if you take a full hyper-Calvinist view that you've been created unto damnation, you've been created unto salvation, uh, he, he chose you, he elected you before the foundation of the world, and, and it's, it's irresistible grace and it's limited atonement. And so Jesus didn't die on the cross for everyone, he only died for the elect. And you've been damned from the beginning and there was never any hope for you. You were a, a, you were a vessel of wrath. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. That's pretty intense. I don't buy it. That's like tying your hand to a post and letting somebody drown in front of you and blaming that person. You're responsible for that person's death. You're damning me to a place that I, I, I had no ability to overcome, and you're, you're accusing me of that. And that's, God is just, and he's merciful, and that doesn't add up. And you say, well, how, how can God be sovereign and, and, and man have a free will? Watch what David says. He never read the Institutes of Religion by John Calvin. Remember when we studied Peter on Sunday? He didn't have any clue. He doesn't give this incredible dissertation so that we can fit God into this box of Calvinism. This is what he says. You comprehend my path, my lying down. Verse 3, you're acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. I mean, this is foreknowledge. This is, this is election. This is predestination. You've hedged me in behind and before you laid your hand upon me. And watch verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. Ready? Here we go. I'm never going to be able to attain that. So if you figured it all out, you haven't. You are arrogant and ignorant all at the same time. It cannot be obtained. It is a mystery. Deal with it. Amen? One of my favorite movies is Limitless. Some of you are going, why? It's so awful. And the more I watch it, the more I realize why the human heart is drawn to it. It's about this drug that the guy takes and he can do everything and accomplish great things and he finally figures out how to manufacture it and get himself into this plane and you know, achieve this limitless ability. And you're like, whoa, where's that drug? It's heaven. It's, it's man's desire to want to be everything he's always intended himself to be. You have your ego and your alter ego. You have, you have who you are and who you perceive yourself to be. Yes? And then there's this that you're battling of who people perceive you to be. You know, that's not me. This is me, but they don't know who that... But that's not... This is really who I want to be. And this is who I want you to think me to be. But I don't want you thinking this, because this is who I am, but I don't want to think me of that. I want to be this. Do you understand that? And we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And it's the, it's the humbleness that God brings us to this place. And this is, oh, I see me. Oh, but God, I see you. And I've been created in your image. And someday I will be known as I'm fully known. I'll be limitless. That's why I like that movie. Okay, uh, let's move on. You, he says, you've, you've hedged me, uh, verse 5, you've hedged me behind and before and laid uh, your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, I cannot obtain it. Now look at verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Isn't that intense? He says, if I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me and even the night shall be light about me. 
Indeed, darkness shall not hide me from you, but the night shines as a day and the darkness as a light. It's both alike to you. The idea is verses 1 through 6, God knows me. But verses uh, 7 through 12, God's always with me. You, listen, you can't get away from him. You just can't. John, John stand up if you would. I, I've shown this before. I love this one. Um, so so you, you come to Christ yes. and you receive the Lord. And that's, that's that idea of face-to-face. That's, that's worship. That's that intimacy. And then we decide to walk away from God, all right? So you can take a thousand steps away from God. 998, 999, 1,000. And then you repent. You turn around. God's never left you. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. You can take a 1,000 steps away, but it's only one step to get back. Thank you very much. That was really lovely how you did that. (laughs) You can't get away from him. If he sees what you're thinking before you've thought it, he knows where you'll be before you're there. Why do you think you can hide from him? If there was accountability to the Lord, we'd be moved. He, he, when he says that, where can I go from your spirit? The answer is nowhere. David, it's a rhetorical question. He says, where can I flee from your presence? Rhetorical again, nowhere. If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. I love that if I can ascend into heaven. Uh, April, is it April 12th or April 14th, 1961. First man in space. Anyone know his name? Yuri Gagarin. Gagarin. And when he got to space, it's reported that he said, and Nikita Khrushchev repeated it, I was in space, I looked out, and God wasn't there. He's not here. Yeah, he said, "I, I, I, I was up in space, and I looked, and God's not there. Uh, move forward, uh, Christmas Eve, 1968, Apollo 8, um, Aldrin wasn't, it was Lovell, uh, and, and they said, uh, uh, Borman, Borman, Commander Borman was in charge of, of Apollo 8, Christmas Eve, does anyone remember what happened? Tell them. They read Genesis 1. The, 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 the highest viewership in the history of television around the world, and they read Genesis. And then when Neil Armstrong was going to walk and they landed on the moon, they had an elaborate thing they wanted to share that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, John 15. And they said no because of the backlash that they got. We were in the, uh, you know, we were in the, uh, the Cold War, and there's a battle for communism, and and to remove this idea that that man is submitted to God, but we don't want the restraints of God. We want to throw those off, and and then you just see this this we're in the heavens, and and one race of man says he's not here, and another begins to give him glory. Yes, and and so that's that's the power of this picture. Um, Nikita Khrushchev, interestingly enough, do you remember when he says, we will bury you, and he pounded his shoe in the UN? Yeah. Nikita Khrushchev was a very interesting character. Um, 
before, I think it was um, uh, Brezhnev took, took, took over for him, the guy with the eyebrows. Nikita Khrushchev, uh, Yuri Gagarin was, and their whole space program, it was Khrushchev who had implemented that. And he was beloved. He'd, come, he'd taken over for Stalin. And um, uh, Nikita Khrushchev was, was raised by his grandmother in the Russian Orthodox Church, taken under his wing by an Orthodox priest, and he memorized whole portions of Scripture and won awards and accolades, and he understood Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John could even outquote any of the US standing U.S. presidents. He knew the Word of God deeply and rejected it wholly. You can know of the Bible, but not know the Bible, because you don't know the God of the Bible. And, and then he, he was used by Stalin to be the most oppressive. He was the one who did the defense of, of Stalingrad. He was the one who did the defense and, and, and pushed off the Russians, excuse me, the Germans, and he, he used the Russians at just breaking a meat grinder. He just kept throwing troops after troops after troops until the Germans just froze to death, and, and he was so brutal that he elevated in the Communist Party and then became the premier of the Communist Party. And he pounded his fist. He said, we'll bury you. And he would, he would renounce God in every equation. He would mock people. He would belittle them and ridicule them. And, uh, and then, lo and behold, and this is, this, is a, this is a really tough history to find. I've only found two sources for it. Overnight, he was kicked out of office. He was removed. And they whisked him off, gave him a pension of 500 rubles a month, and put him in a dacha outside of Moscow. And he disappeared. And he, he did his memoirs, um, and they were published in the Western world in the 1970s, but all of Pravda and everyone else rejected it and said that, that they weren't legitimate. But the story goes that he would spend his latter days in Gorky Park preaching the gospel. And they'd leave him alone because he was the former Soviet premier of you know, the, the Soviet Union. And, and they wouldn't kill him because he was beloved. Now, the picture of this is all of this that God is declaring. He's in, he's in full control. You think you can run from him? You think you can, you can build an empire to deny him and reject him? You, 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 you think you can get millions of people to join you? And this is what I get a kick out of. Why? Why do atheists fight so hard to deny the existence of of God because he exists they don't fight to stop the Easter bunny or Santa Claus right they're fighting to stop God and the reason why they fight is because he exists and it doesn't matter listen I I don't care if there there was this do you remember the um Oh gosh, what was it? They called it the Jesus Conference, I think it was, where a whole bunch of theologians and, and professors and doctors of whatever got together and decided what was valid scripture and what wasn't. Do you, do you remember that? The Jesus Seminar. 
And they, it was, you know, it was touted, and it was in Time Magazine and Newsweek, and everybody did an article on it, and it was oh, da, 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 da. And, and, you know, the intellectuals, this wasn't written by Christ, and Isaiah was written by a different author, and the, the second half of Isaiah is certainly not like the first half, and that means that the, the, the consistency, and James wasn't written by James, we don't, it was, certainly wasn't the brother of Jesus. And on and on and on, they just began to just dismantle the Word of God. And I, 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 I don't have near the education they have. PhDs piled high and deep. I don't have any of those. Amen. Amen. But I know this. I read the word this morning. I was in Starbucks. And, and, and it, was, it, was a, it was a really rough time. And I prayed. And I opened up his word. And he spoke to me. And my heart was lifted. And my joy was restored. All by the reading of his word. That they say isn't real. And all I can tell you is, you have no idea what you're talking about. It, it, it transformed my day. And that's what, that's what David's saying. And we're, we're going to cover more of, of Psalm 139 because it's so deep. I want to get into the picture of the children and this idea of being fearfully and wonderfully made that we've been fashioned together. But the first half we covered and the, 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 the picture that God knows us and God is always with us. There's nowhere you can go to hide from His presence. There's nowhere you can go to hide from His presence. And He knows everything about you. Now, I would close with this. That being said, whatever it is, however hard it is, He ordained it, He's with you in the middle of it, and He will perfect that which concerns you. Before you even stepped in there, He already knows how to get you out of there. Because he already put you in there before you ever entered there. Doesn't that hurt just thinking about it? My point is, relax. This, this shouldn't cause you to run from him. This should cause you to cling to him. Because the more you cling to him, the more effective of an instrument you are. Um, you know when kids open up presents at Christmas? And they're super stoked on it, and they see all the buttons and everything. We've done this a few times. They're like, oh! And they're pressing it. Daddy, it doesn't work. And you read the box. Battery's not included. You're like, darn. You have to go down to the 7-Eleven. It's the only place open on Christmas Day. And you're like, you got any deed batteries? Big? No, we got a lot of those. Oh! Go down the gas station. Some guy's like, only check in the back. I don't know if they still work. But you, you bring them back. Here you go, kids. Hey! We, we know that it's exciting. We know how we've been made. But the batteries have to be included. And this is where the Lord says, I can do all things, how? Through Christ who strengthens me. The Lord says in Isaiah, not by might nor by power, but what? By my spirit. When you understand how his spirit moves in your life and everything he comprehends about you, plug into him. Batteries are included when you plug into him. Then all the buttons work. And you're going to shine, and you're going you're gonna to do exactly what he created you to do. But if you run from him, you're just, you're fading because you're not plugged into the power source.
Amen? Amen. Any questions tonight? Yep.